Hello everyone, this is Deborah Richardson and today I am putting the AP in Happy where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. This podcast will give a voice to accounts payable team members by talking about the growing reality of cyber attacks in their world and which vendor setup and vendor management techniques they can apply to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Visit the Vendor Process Training Center to enroll in your choice of 55 plus training sessions that will help you and your team avoid fraud, compliance fines, and bad vendor data. Or just sign up to get access to Vendor Process FAQs and to attend weekly drop-in live Q&A sessions. Visit training.debrarrichardson.com today. The link will be in the show notes. Do you have internal employees collecting vendor supporting documentation for your vendor ads and changes? What are the risks and how do you mitigate them? Keep listening. Welcome to episode 233, Mitigate the Risk When Using Internal Employees to Collect Vendor Information. All right, so I do want to start off by just explaining what I mean. And what I mean in this scenario is the vendor team that handles the vendor setup Um, and the change of existing vendor data, the information that is needed for both of those activities, instead of collecting those directly from the vendor team or from the vendor by the vendor team, that information and forms are collected by the internal team member. And once the internal team member collects that information, either they will submit it to the vendor team via email, or maybe your accounting system or ERP has a form that the internal team member can fill out, attach those uh, vendor setup documents, the required forms, and then submit that request to the vendor team. And so when the vendor team gets that information, they will then process the vendor uh, ad or the vendor change. And so here's what I see as an issue, what the risk uh, associated with um, that process. Actually, there are a few. So the first one is, is the internal team member, when they collect that information from the vendor, they may not necessarily be, um, what do you call that, pro the vendor team, right? So let's uh, let's assume that you've got great processes and forms in place. And so when there is a request for a vendor ad, your forms that are required are a uh, vendor setup form, um, a W-9, also, if they want an ACH or um, wire payment, they have to uh, complete a company branded ACH form. And so that's 
three forms that are required for vendor setup. And now your internal team member is going to have to go and give those blank forms to your vendor. And then your vendor is going to have to fill them out. Now, vendors by, you know, and I would say also internal team members, their goal, right, is to get, hurry up and get past this process so they can be set up and get the purchase order issued if they're a PO vendor or get set up and get, uh, be able to uh, send an invoice and, and get that invoice posted and paid. This in between of getting the vendor set up and, and the requirements for it, they may not understand, you know, their priority is not making sure that, uh, you know, they match IRS, uh, uh, 10 records, right? The legal name and tax ID, um, matches. They're not really, that's not really their priority. They're not trying to verify that the information uh, is valid and that they're not on watch list. Their goal, and I'm talking about the internal team member and the vendor, is to get the vendor ultimately paid. And so these steps in between, they may not understand it. And so if you have the internal team member dealing with the vendor, they may not portray or convey the um, priority, the urgency, the requirement for the forms that you have. But let's say um, that uh, they do, or they at least they send the forms to the vendor. The vendor uh, then uh, uh, completes the form and sends them back to the internal team member. So let's say that happens. So you're over the first hurdle of right getting pushback or uh, not really conveying the urgency or the requirement for the forms because the vendor uh, has now completed the form. So the second thing is, is once those forms come back in, the internal team member doesn't just give you, uh, submit those forms. I mean, they submit it, but that's not all they do with it. They save those forms because they never really wanted to collect them in the first place. They didn't understand why you needed them, especially if they had to go back and forth and back and forth because the vendor submitted the forms incomplete or the forms um, when you went to do the validation, let's say with the IRS 10 match, we'll use that example again, it wasn't um, valid. And so now they had to go back and get a w, another W-9, which again, they didn't understand why they had to get it in the first place, right? Right. And so uh, once they get valid forms, they're not getting rid of them. They're going to keep them um, because, again, they didn't understand why you need them in the first place. And now that they finally have, in some cases, valid forms, if you ask for those forms again, they're going to grab those forms that uh, they know were valid when they originally submitted them. And so that is their reasoning behind why they keep them. And when they keep them, they are keeping information that is sensitive for the vendor. And so uh, a great example is the W-9. The W-9 could have, could have a social security number on it if that vendor is a contractor, right? If they're in that first tax class of individual, um, sole proprietor, single member LLC, they could submit to you their social security number and that sensitive information. If they have a uh, ACH or wire payment method, 
banking has been uh, collected. And we know that is also sensitive information. And so these internal employees um, are keeping this information and you don't know where they're keeping it because you don't have you know access to that, right? Um, they're keeping that on their C drive and their email uh, on just, it could be right, an unsecure location where they're keeping that vendor sensitive data. All right, so that was the second reason. And the third reason is they can get social engineered too, um, especially if uh, or because they really haven't had you know, training, hopefully the way that the vendor team has had training. They're not doing authentication. Um, and we're, I'm going back to the things that if you're being, if you've been, you know, an avid listener to my podcast, you've heard of different ways to um, make sure you are communicating with your vendor and not a fraudster, right? So authentication, and then also some other best practices, internal controls, and other authentication techniques, none of which has the internal employee had. Yes, they may have had cybersecurity training to to get them to recognize like phishing uh, emails, but that doesn't mean that they cannot be social engineered, right? And so if they are, now they are passing you uh, invalid information and or fraudulent information. And also, let me just uh, give an example here because I had a uh, subscriber, potential client come up and talk about how they had a fraudulent incident. And the fraudulent incident was because the internal or the, uh, yeah, the internal team member submitted the information for a bank change to the vendor team. And the vendor team assumed that because the internal team member submitted the information that they had validated that it had actually come from their uh, actual vendor. Well, they had not. They had been social engineered. And that also happened with uh, another uh, potential client or subscriber who same thing happened to them, but it was their client uh, who gave them that information. So the client was was social engineered. And so in both cases, you've got a non-vendor team employee or group or department collecting vendor information and then sending it to the vendor team, which some of you may say, well, it's the internal employee or that client or that group that has the relationship with the vendor. Wouldn't they be the best folks to collect the vendor information from because they can tell that it's actually the vendor, and which is just opposite of the vendor team who doesn't have the relationship with the vendor. But again, I just went over three reasons why that can still result in Um, risk. And so now let's talk about uh, some ways that you can mitigate the risk. And so the first way that I have is authentication. So I'm talking about authenticating the employee. And this, by the way, is the same way um, that I talk about authenticating the vendor. So if you've got the vendor reaching directly out to the vendor team with um, a request to be added, um, so a vendor add or a request to change your information, my 
recommendation as part of my authentication, validation, management, three-step process for vendor setup and maintenance, I always talk about authentication. Um, And so that means verifying that you are speaking with or communicating with who you think you are communicating with and not a fraudster. So it means asking them two to three identifying questions. And that's the same way. Again, if you guys have been listening to my podcast, watching any of my videos, I talk about it all the time. It's the same way as when your bank Uh, you contact your bank. They don't just start talking to you about whatever you um, call to talk about with your account. They will ask you two to three identifying questions. And so I recommend you do the same thing with your vendors, but I also recommend you do the same thing with your internal employees, especially if the internal employee is contacting you on a device or platform that is not issued by your company. Because sometimes, and some of you may have this, where if the internal employee contacts you on a company phone line, Uh, and you pick that uh, phone line up, then that phone um, or that system is going to uh, give you that employee's information. Um, But if the employee is not, you know, calling you from that system or that company phone system, or your uh, company doesn't have that, or maybe the employee is calling you on a cell phone, you may need to validate them. And that's um, not just calling, that is also emailing as well. And for those of you um, that didn't see one of my new scam alerts um, back in, I think this is back in either 2019 or 2020, might've been 2021, but in any event, the scam alert is was that, uh, the fosters know how to remove that um, external email indicator. So they can use CSS code to do that. And so you can no longer get the warm fuzzies because you have a, you received an email from an internal employee and it didn't have an external email indicator on it. So you know that it's from the employee. You can't assume that anymore. So if there are any red flags and maybe the context of of the uh, of the email, uh, any any of the um, wording, right? The communication is off. Something just seems off. Then you need to authenticate, and this is also uh, can be the case. Not just the fact that the external email can be uh, external email indicator can be removed, but they. Uh, meaning the froster could be in your internal employee's actual email um, inbox, right? Or they can have, uh, they can be in that your employee's internal email account because the phishing, right? And the scams have just been so, uh, you know, massive these past three years that they've been very uh, successful and they have the actual login information for your internal employees and are sending emails from within their actual account. So if anything seems off, you need to authenticate. Now I will put a link to the, uh, I have a, 
a free training course or session and it, um, I always forget the name of it, but it's build your authentication reference, um, so that you know that you're communicating with your vendor and not a fraudster. Um, but I do have right that authentication reference. I do speak to authenticating your employees as well. So I'm going to put a link to that on the vendor process, uh, training center. And so if you are interested, you can click through sign up and then take that training session at no cost. And then there are some other um, benefits as well, but I'll put a link, leave a link to that training session in the show notes. All right. So that was authentication of the employee, the first way to mitigate the risk. And that I would say is more so if you are getting the vendor documents via uh, email. Now, if you're getting it via an actual like electronic form, like I talked about before, I know SAP has one called the vendor master request. Uh, PeopleSoft can also have a forum as well. You may still need to reach out to the internal team member if anything seems a little off, especially if they uh, have had their email account or login credentials um, compromised. You never know what platforms they uh, the frosters can access. All right. So the next one is to require an internal request form. Now, this internal request form is separate from any forms that you may have, electronic forms that the internal team members would use to submit the vendor documentation that they just uh, that they just collected for a vendor ad or change. This is separate from that. This internal request form is meant to get the vendor or the internal team member out of the middle of the process. And so what I mean by that is you would have a separate form, just the way that you would have a vendor setup form or, you know, company branded ACH wire form. Uh, have an internal request form. And on that internal request form, you have the internal team members identify if they are requesting a vendor ad or change and have them complete the form with the vendor's information uh, that they have. And that includes the vendor's uh, uh, contact that accounts payable or the vendor team would need to reach out to, right? And so you have them submit all the information that you require to be able to have enough information to reach out to the vendor. If you require approval from, you know, their, um, their, uh, Uh, Next level up, you can add that as well. Um, But again, the point of this is to collect enough information that the vendor team or accounts payable could then reach out to the vendor with the instructions for and the forms for a vendor ad and a vendor uh, or a vendor change. And again, this gets the internal team member out from the middle of the vendor ad or vendor change process. It also um, gets them out of or avoids them collecting those forms that can have that sensitive information on it. So they're no longer in the middle. They give you or the vendor team or accounts payable team the information that is needed to reach out to the vendor and give them the instructions and forms for that ad or change. 
I will say though, that it doesn't mean that the relationship between the internal team member and the vendor can't be leveraged. Uh, you can, that could be valuable for the vendor team. Let's say if you're having trouble reaching out to the vendor, say for that confirmation phone call, right? They're not picking up, they're not calling back. Uh, you can reach out to the internal team member. And again, because they have the relationship with the vendor, they may be able to, uh, uh, reach out to them and get a response where the vendor team would not. Now, the other thing too is they can also use that relationship if you're, let's say, during a future vendor master file cleanup where you revalidate that data information for that vendor comes back as not successful. So now you have to reach out to the vendor and get updated forms. If the vendor is not replying or responding back to you, you can use again, that uh, internal or that relationship between the internal team member and the vendor and try to leverage that to get a response. All right, so the last uh, way that I have here to mitigate the risk, and I'm sure there are much more, you you may even have some in your process, um, but the last way that I have is to make sure that you're doing as many validations as possible for that vendor setup or that vendor change. And what I mean by that is making sure that uh, the information that you're adding to your vendor master file or changing in your vendor master file is accurate and that vendor is real. So even if your internal employee was social engineered, uh, that fraudulent data will not be added to your vendor master file. So let's say if you have a new vendor ad, uh, then you want to make sure you do the IRS 10 match to make sure that vendor is real. You want to make sure you're checking that vendor against the applicable watch list uh, to make sure that they're not on any uh, watch list that if paid would cause your company to be uh, fined. Um, and so you want to make sure that is in play. And then you also want to make sure that the vendor's remittance information is valid. So for example, if you have a vendor that gives you a PO box and PO boxes have long been used uh, by fraudsters to hide behind the fact that, you know, they don't have a physical address, that could be a red flag for fraud, that if they do give you a PO box that you also collect, your forms also require a physical address so that you can verify that physical address is valid. And, uh, or, or if they have an electronic payment method like a wire or an ACH that you're verifying that you're collecting any information that could uh, make sure that that, you know, uh, information is not fraudulent. So for example, I always talk about requiring a company branded ACH or wire form because on that form, you're going to include some red flags, right? You're going to at least include the fact, um, the collection of the payee country. So the vendor's country and then the bank country. Um, and if those are different, then that is a huge red flag. Also for a change, you want to require the existing vendor 
information. And if the existing vendor's banking that's collected does not match what's in the accounting system or ERP, then that is a red flag for fraud as well. And you can also include things like the tax ID, the remittance address right on this uh company branded ACH or wire form. I also recommend that you include the internal employee that they have a relationship with. Uh, and if you combine that with the internal uh, employee form for vendor setup, um, then you can, uh, when you receive the vendor banking form back, you can compare the internal employee name that's on the um, banking form to the internal employee that submitted the internal request form, vendor request form. So you can use that as uh, another piece of authenticating data, but put as much uh data on that form uh, that you're collecting for banking to make sure that you can verify that it's the actual vendor and not a froster. And by the way, the more forms and hoops that these frosters have to jump through in order to, uh, you know, for example, change vendor banking, which is, you know, huge in fraud, um, the more likely it is that they'll just abandon the request and go on to the next potential vendor. Victim that's not asking for that. So validation and requiring data um, to both validate and authenticate is a big way to mitigate the risk when you're collecting the vendor supporting documentation from the internal employee versus from the vendor. And by the way, I'll also put a link to a vendor banking form template that has all of that information that I just talked about on the template. It is for sale on, uh, on my site. So I'll put a link to that. And if you're interested, you can take a look at it and purchase it for use. All right. So thanks everyone. I hope you enjoyed the 233rd episode of the Putting the AP in Happy podcast, where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Don't forget to check the show notes for the links mentioned in the podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and writing a review of my podcast on the platform that you use to listen. Stay happy. Stay happy.